All right, if you got your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24 as we continue our series in the book of Ephesians. When I was in college, I worked for my dad uh, in Northern California at his tire and auto repair shop. And it was in the early 2000s, it might have been the year 2000 when I started uh, working with him, and we were in the middle, right when I started working for him, was the, the middle of the Firestone tire recall. I don't know if anyone remembers that, but there was an issue with Firestone tires that came from the factory on Ford trucks and SUVs, and what would happen is you'd get to a high speed and the tire would disintegrate, fall apart, and it, would, it led, and unfortunately, uh, tragically to, to a number of tragic uh, car wrecks and crashes that had happened. And so what Firestone did um, is they began giving a credit to anyone who could show proof that they had had their tires replaced. And so we did a ton of $400 tire sales, and we would put on any brand. They didn't have to be Firestone. In fact, most people didn't want Firestone. And the people would just send the receipt, and Firestone would send a check to them to rebate them because Firestone had manufactured faulty tires. That wasn't the intention, but that was what ended up happening. Some of you more recently maybe have had to take a vehicle in because you have a Takata airbag. Anyone had a Takata airbag in their vehicle? Uh, well, we got a letter for our Honda Accord in the mail saying there's a problem with your airbag. And we found out that the airbag could deploy, and instead of just being the inflated airbag, it could actually send metal shrapnel like through your face. And I thought, that's terrible. Let's take it in right away. And Takata is actually now out of business because this recall uh, and the, the problem with their airbag has been so prevalent in so many vehicles. You can Google, it's interesting, you Google biggest or most expensive recalls, and there are all sorts of situations, many of which you'd probably be familiar with, where companies failed to produce the product that they had intended to produce, and often with horribly tragic consequences. Um, Firestone Tire, they didn't intend to produce a tire that would explode and cause a wreck at high speed. What they meant to do was produce a tire that would connect the vehicle to the road and provide a safe ride for people who bought uh, their tires and the cars that were uh, had their, t t I was going to say wearing their tires, like a pair of shoes, like cars, the you know, Pixar cars, you know, they wear them like shoes. Um, the airbag is literally a life-saving device. It's designed to save life, but when it was manufactured incorrectly and defectively, it had the tragically opposite effect and actually made things worse. Well, there's something similar that's happening in the world and in humanity. God designed humanity with a specific intention and a specific purpose. He designed humanity for a relationship with Him, and a relationship with other people, and a, and a relationship in the world, and, and a purpose, and, 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 and to, to, to live this life that He has gifted us with. But something has gone horribly wrong. In the case of these manufacturers, they were at fault. Whether, you know, the, 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 they, they intended to design one thing, but they ended up designing something else that was defective, either in its design or in its production. With God, it was nothing that was his fault, but it was actually our fault. The Bible says that we turned away from him. We ran away from him. We disobeyed him. We rejected him. And that because of that, our lives have been corrupted. 
And our, our, our whole the DNA of humanity, every one of us, every one of you has sin in your DNA and is, it, you are corrupted and, and, and actually defective from the factory, every one of us. You know, sometimes people have a baby and it's just like this beautiful little human being. I don't know if you know this, this is just a little freebie, you can find it on Google, that people's eyes don't change size their whole life. And that's why babies are so cute because their eyes are like half the size of their head and it, people say it's a perfect little baby. But what you can't see is inside of that baby, there is a strand of sickness called sin. And it's in every one of us. And what, what God has, has done in the midst of this defect, defect that we have caused, he has given a factory recall. And he has recalled us to himself. He, he, he made us for a purpose. And we're born for a purpose. But, but we end up often anxious, unsure, aimless, guilty, ashamed. And so God, while these, these manufacturers, they, they, they were mandated. They had to make these recalls because it was their fault. This wasn't God's fault, but in his grace and his love and his mercy, he has issued this factory recall and called us back to himself. Well, well it may cost these companies billions of dollars. It cost God something far more valuable. And that was the life of his son, Jesus. He sent Jesus to be born without the strand of DNA of sin, without the sin sickness that we're all born with, without that factory problem, without that corruption. And Jesus lived this perfect life and he obeyed God and he never disobeyed God. And he went to the cross and he was crucified and died because the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. The paycheck for sin is death. And he was buried and he was raised to life. When we found out about that recall on our accord, like I said, we, we went immediately and we took it in because I don't want something bad to happen to my family. And God has sent Jesus and he sent the Bible and he sent messengers and he sent friends and family into the world to call people back to himself. And he says, there's a new way to live. You don't have to live in this old corrupted way of being human. There's a new way to be human. You don't have to live with guilt or shame or anxiety or fear about what happens or how you're going to live or what happens when you die. And so in Ephesians 4, 17 through 24, we're going to see um, a description of this old way of life contrasted with a description of this new way of life that God is offering to us. We're going to see the corrupted way that all of us are born into, and then we're going to see the new way, the better than new way that God offers us for how to live. Now, some of you I know may not be familiar with the Bible. Maybe you're back in church um, and you haven't been in church in a while. Maybe like you've never really gone to church, but you're here today and you don't know much about the Bible. So that's totally, that, it's actually the perfect place for you to be because what we are is we're basically like Bible 101. We're just studying the Bible, finding out what it says. And when I say we're going to be in Ephesians 4, you might not know what that means. Well, all you have to do is if you have a physical copy of the Bible, if you need one, you can slip up your hand. We'll get one to you. There's something called the table of contents. And you go, New Testament, it says Ephesians. You turn to Ephesians. And then there's big numbers. Those are the chapters. That's chapter four. And then little numbers, those are the verses. Uh, or if you download the Bible app, literally just Bible app in your app store or Google Play or wherever you download apps, um, there's an app and you just tap on there and it take you right there to Ephesians 4. And you don't have to be an expert in the Bible to know that Ephesians 4 comes after, this is pretty simple, Mass, I know it's hard, it's still morning, maybe is it morning? No, it's just turned noon, so Mass, 
I know it's hard, but one, two, and three is followed by four. So you don't have to be an expert in the Bible. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to know anything about much of anything to know that Ephesians 4 comes after Ephesians 1 through 3. That's important because this is the context for which this passage is found. Ephesians 1 through 3 are all about what God has done to change our lives, to change our stories, to change humanity, to issue this factory recall, to call us back to himself. Last week, we looked at Ephesians 4, 1 through 16, and we saw all about the, 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 the church that God has dreamed about, that it would be a church that is both united and diverse, that it is a church that is full, full of all sorts of different people, black people and white people and brown people, people who are wealthy, people who are poor, people who have been in church for a long time, people who are just coming back to church or have never been to church, people who are old, people who are young. All across the board, God has designed this church for unity and diversity. And this week in verse 17, Ephesians 4, 17, he says, therefore, in light of God's heart to save people from every type of situation and bring them into this new diverse and multi-ethnic family called the church. Therefore, do this. Reject the old way of life and live in the new way that God is offering to you. So we're going to look at this paragraph in two halves, verses 17 through 24, and then verses 20, 17 through 19, and then 20 through 24. Um, the first half will show us the old way to be human, and the second half will show us the new way to be human. Let's pray before we really get into the text and just ask for God to speak to us. Our Lord, I just ask you would help us to learn what you want us to learn, to grow in the way that you want us to grow, to be changed in the way you want us to be changed, to, to live into this new way to be human that you have offered to us, that you would summon us to yourself, that you would call us whether we know you and maybe are feeling a little disconnected or maybe we've kind of stepped back into some old habits or whether we've never met you and we are going to meet you today, we ask you to call us and show us. Help me to speak what you want me to speak. In Jesus' name, amen. You see, 10 things about the old way to be human. The first thing, it's an addicted way. Look at verse 17. Therefore, I say this and testify in the Lord. You should no longer live as the Gentiles live in the futility of their thoughts. He say, I say this and testify, you should no longer live as the Gentiles. Now the word live there is literally walk. Some of your versions, if you use a different version, I'm using the Christian Standard Bible, CSB, but there's lots of great Bible versions. And literally the word there in the original language, which was Greek, is walk. No longer walk. It's, it's a pattern of life. It's a, it's a habit. But more than a habit, it's, it's an addiction. It's, it's like knowing that it's killing you, but you can't stop. Whether it's smoking or drinking or eating, and you know that it's hurting you, but you can't stop. You're addicted. You, you are stuck. And this is, the old, this, is, this is the way we're born, is a propensity to be addicted to things that hurt us. This is... This is human nature. You say, it doesn't make sense. It's so, why would that person live this way? It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make sense. But we're addicted to sin and we're addicted to self. You're born as a sin junkie. You're addicted to sin. You're addicted to yourself. That's how you're born. This is how I was born. This is how all of us are born. 
an addicted way. Secondly, it's, it's a Gentile way. Now, in verse 17, it says, you should no longer live as the Gentiles. Now, what's interesting is we already talked about that he's writing this to a new humanity, a new group of people, a multi-ethnic church that was both Jews and Gentiles. But then he says, don't live like Gentiles. And so what we see here is that being a Gentile, it's not so much about ethnicity, it's about spiritual identity. It's not so much about how you were born or who you were born, it's about the way that you live. To live like a Gentile is not about being a child of Abraham from the flesh, to live like, or, or not a child of Abraham from the flesh, and to be a Jewish person. To live like a Gentile is to live like someone who doesn't know God. Way back in Genesis, God called this man named Abram, and he said, I'm going to make you a great nation. And from Abram came this group of people called the Jews, the Israelites. And that was God's chosen people. But then we get to the New Testament, we see Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead. And then he invites not just Jews, but Jews and Gentiles to come to him to form a new humanity. And to live like a Gentile means you are brought in to the promises that God has made in the Old Testament as well as the New Testament. To be a member of God's people means he's given you new life spiritually. The theological term is regeneration, new life, to, to give new life, regenerate by God's Holy Spirit. Now we all live in cultural patterns that oppose uh, the way of God. So some cultures practice a superstitious kind of religion where um, they, they get all dressed up for these ceremonies and they parade around um, and for a night of uh, ceremony, religious idol worship. So, But enough about the Oscars, okay? Uh, some cultures are... are very um, brutal, and they construct these massive coliseums to watch people perform feats of physical accomplishment where those people can be hurt or even killed. Um, but enough about the NFL. Uh, um, some cultures ignore what's wrong with the world and kind of just insulate themselves into groups of people who think like they do, talk like they do, and they just kind of think they're better than everyone. Um, but enough about the church. It's a Gentile way of life to live into this culture that we're born into. Number three, it's a futile life. Verse 17, in the futility of their thoughts. It's a futile way of thinking. See, we think we can think and plan and research and and if we just get enough technology, we can fix the problem. If they can just design a new antibiotic or a new sort of drug or a new sort of machine, that it's going to fix the problem. Now, don't get me wrong. Technology and, pro and progress is amazing. Because I tell you what, I would not live in Florida if they didn't have air conditioning. So I'm grateful for that. Many of us are alive today because they developed antibiotics and things. So I'm not saying those things are bad. I'm saying they can't prevent the ultimate result of humanity, and that is death. S human sin leads to death. And if you think just by developing more technology or thinking positive thoughts or just sort of changing a few things that you're going to make your life what it's supposed to be, you're going to be mistaken. It's futile. You can't think your way. You can't believe your way out of the problem just by belief and thinking 
and positivity and technology by itself. Number four, the, the, the old way to be human is, is a way of stumbling in the dark. Again, the idea here is a darkened understanding. Um, every person, you know, we heard, you've heard that phrase, the lights are on but nobody's home. Well, the reality is what the Bible teaches about us is that we're bo- everybody's born with somebody home but the lights aren't on. That every person is born darkened in their understanding. They can't see what's real. They can't see where they should go. They can't make out the, the pathway toward life. They're turned in the wrong direction. They're all, they're all turned and spun around and they don't know what to do and they can't see. They're lost in a fog. Now here you don't get a lot of fog, but back, back when, when I was in California, sometimes this insane fog would roll in. I don't know if you've ever driven in really thick fog, but it's terrifying. You can't see anything. I heard a guy one time who would open his door and he literally had to follow the line on the road because he couldn't see a foot in front of the vehicle. This is how we're born. When I get out of bed at night, when my wife wants me to check on something or to go get her a glass of water or whatever the case may be, I don't turn on the lights because I'm used to where stuff is and most of the time that's fine. And I'm just hoping and praying as I walk in my bare feet that the kids didn't leave Legos on the floor. And here's the thing, you can think things are fine because you're so used to navigating the darkness of your own life. But at some point, someone's going to move something in the way. Someone's going to leave something in your path and it will catch up to you. Number five, separated from life. We're designed for life, but we're separated from life. I don't know if you've ever had the experience of having your phone on 3% battery and you don't have a charger. I don't know about you, but that is one of the most terrifying experiences of my entire life. (laughs) Yes, I have lived a sheltered life. Or if your phone dies, you can't charge it. You feel so helpless. This morning, Laura, my wife, uh, went to Party City to pick up lids for the coffee uh, cup. So if you're drinking coffee this morning with a lid, make sure you say a little thank you. She went and got that. Uh, so she went, she came, uh, they, they didn't open till 10, and so she's like, hey, can I drop the kids off at church and then go get it? I said, sure, that's fine. She sent the kids with a diaper bag, um, because our oldest daughter's allergic to peanuts and had her EpiPens in it, so they sent the kids with a diaper bag. Now, we have a car with a keyless entry and keyless remote, or keyless, you know, key, proximity key. And so apparently, we've, we found out you're able to drive without the key in the van, uh, but if you turn it off, you can't turn it back on. So she called me, and she's just panicking. She's stuck at Party City, and I'm like, well, I don't know. It's, uh, what are you going to do? No, we sent someone her, to her with the key. <laughs> this is how we're born. We're separated from life, disconnected. Number six, the old way to be human is not knowing what you don't know. Now, this is the scary thing, not knowing what you don't know. Um, the dangerous part of getting a little a bit of education is thinking you know more than you do. So uh, some of you may know that I'm working on a, a doctorate and I'm writing a, I actually, pray for me, I'm writing a dissertation right now and part of what I'm studying is the doctrine of the Trinity. Now here's what I know about the doctrine of the Trinity. The more I study it, the more I think, oh my gosh, this is, I don't know anything about anything. I r- took a class in seminary on the Trinity and I read a few pretty, pretty thick books on the Trinity I'm, and I have a pretty good understanding. And I just had no clue. I had no clue. I still don't have any clue. It's like you read a book 
and you think, well, I have a pretty good understanding of this concept. You read an article, but you have no idea. There's, you have no idea what you don't know, that there's a whole library of stuff that people have said that you've never, you're not even aware is there. Sometimes I'm doing research and I find the name of a scholar who's like an influential scholar I didn't even know existed. And I, oh my goodness. And this is what life without the Lord is like. It's, you don't know. You think you know, but you don't know. There's a can of worms that you have not opened about the way life really is. Not knowing what you don't know. It's, I mean, imagine going on a first date with someone. And you get to know that person a little bit, and you think, man, I know that person pretty well. Like, let's get married. Let's do this. What most people would say is, that's crazy. You don't know that person. Now, I understand sometimes things happen, like people get married really quickly and things work out, but you don't know someone after just a two-hour conversation. And there's so much you don't know, and you don't know what you don't know. Number seven, it's a hard-hearted way. They don't feel anything. We don't feel anything about what's really important. We're born only sensitive to what matters to us. We're not sensitive to God's instruction. We're not aware of what we should know. That leads into the eighth thing, being dangerously numb. Oh, I forgot to read verse 18. I'm sorry. Um, but we're already into verse 19, so we'll just, I'll just trust that you read it on the screen and that, that God spoke to you. Uh, verse 19, they became callous and gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. I read about this uh, condition recently where people are born without the ability to feel pain. It's really rare, but it happens. And there's this girl who was born with this condition, and it's so dangerous that they actually, there was a point, there was a point where she actually put her hand in boiling water, and she just didn't feel anything. And the problem is you cannot feel pain and still be hurt dramatically and tragically. And this is how we're born in the natural state of humanity. We are born not feeling the pain of what sin and life without God is doing to us. We think we're fine and we don't realize that it's wrecking our souls. Dangerously numb. We don't feel the separation that we have from God. We don't feel the pain of our decisions and our wrong choices. Eventually, though, it will catch up to us in life and in eternity. Number nine, it's giving yourself up over and giving yourself up. Giving yourself over and giving yourself up. We're watching a show. Laura and I are watching a show right now. And uh, one of the characters is a police officer whose wife has become a drug addict. And, uh, and she just is like, she, she, she got hooked. And she's just like, I'm so far down the rabbit hole. She doesn't even want another way of life. She's just given herself up and given herself over to her addiction. This is what sin does. Eventually, you just give up, and you give in. You give yourself fully into its embrace. It could be eating too much, or drinking too much, or sex, or pornography, or getting rich, or being muscular, or just having a family and the, the good American dream sort of life. But it you give yourself over to it, and it will own you. And this is how we're born, with the propensity to do that. 
And finally, number 10, greedy but never satisfied. In verse 19, gave themselves over to promiscuity for the practice of every kind of impurity with a desire for more and more. I don't know if you've ever been addicted to something. And you can be honest, because I personally, I have, uh, and I am addicted to coffee. And so I, if I don't get coffee in the morning, here's what happens. Well, you don't want to be around me and if, if I don't get coffee. And I start to get headaches. And I've actually had a couple points in my life where I actually have given up coffee completely because I felt like I was being owned by the desire for coffee. And, and then I felt like the Lord told me, it's okay, you can, you can start drinking coffee again. So, so you, could be addic- you could be addicted to crack, you could be addicted to drinks, you could be addicted to cigarettes, you could be addicted to caffeine, you could be addicted to social media alerts, you could be addicted to af- affirmation and people telling you things that make you feel good. And it will never be enough. You can't get enough buzz, you can't get enough high, you can't get enough pleasure, you can't get enough affirmation, you can't get enough Instagram likes or Facebook likes or comments, or you can't get enough people telling you that they love you. It's never going to be enough for you because what you're addicted to is you're addicted to the selfish desires that are inside of your heart. And what Jesus did is he came to set you free. Jesus came to set you free. And he offers you a better way, a new way to be human. And that's what we're going to see in verses 20 through 24, the new way to be human. What is the new way to be human? First, it's a way of learning about Jesus. Look at verse 20. But this is not how you came to know Christ. This is not how you came to know Christ. He's talking to people who have already made that decision and, and, and had that reality in their life change where they have turned from sin and selfishness and darkness and turned toward Christ and been saved and forgiven, given eternal life. And he's saying, this is what you learned is a new way to be human. Don't fall back into your old patterns. It starts with learning. You hear a sermon or you, you read the Bible, you talk with a friend. You go to a Bible study and you see Jesus and he, you realize, is different. He's different than any other person who's ever lived, any other person you've ever met, any other person you've ever studied or heard about. And that's why, secondly, the new way to be human is centered on Jesus. So you hear that sermon, you read that Bible passage, you have that conversation with a friend, you go to that Bible study and you see Jesus and you see that he's different from everyone else, and you see that what he's saying is you can trade all of your garbage for his riches, that he will forgive you, and he will cleanse you, and that he actually died for you. It's like us taking, when I took our 2002 Accord to trade in, they gave me $100 credit. 100, not 1,000, $100. $100 credit. Like, I could have had a coupon that would have given me more of a discount on the car that we had to buy than our 2002 Accord. And it would be like me taking that Accord and saying, you know what, we will trade you this hunk of junk with 200,000 something miles in it. We will trade you and you can pick anything 
off the lot. Now, the thing is, you don't know this, but I bought my car at a Cadillac dealer. Now, I don't drive a Cadillac. I drive a Chevy because it was used. But imagine me taking this 2002 Accord to the Cadillac dealer and, and them saying, you can pick anything off the lot straight up. This is what Jesus is offering. He's offering all of your garbage, and he's giving you everything straight up. All you have to do is say, wow. He w- you would do that? No, you're joking, right? What's the catch? No catch. The third w- part of the new way to be human is it's being teachable. So it's a way of learning, but it's also being teachable. Learning about him, literally learning him, encountering him, and letting him change your mind about things. Letting him dictate the way you think about life, the way you think about family, the way you think about your money, the way you think about your career decisions, the way you think about everything, being teachable in a real relationship and hearing him call to you and speak to you through his word, through his spirit in the context of community. Sometimes, you know, one of the the great things about being a pastor is like your job is to study the Bible. But one of the worst things about being a pastor is your job is to study the Bible. Because the Bible can be just like like work and just ideas. And I'm kind of like, I like, you know, ideas and reading books and stuff. And so I have to sometimes, I just pause and I remember, Jesus, you're not an idea. You're not a concept. You're not a theological construct. You are a person and you are here with me right now. I just have to quiet my heart and say, Jesus, I'm listening. Sometimes you just have to quiet and say, I'm listening. Jesus, teach me. He's not going to do it if you don't open your Bible. He's like, I got a whole book. Why don't you start there? Open the Bible and read it. Get in your Bible reading plan. If you haven't started the F260 plan, then get in there and get going. You know, I'm way behind too. It's cool. Like, let's be behind together. My wife is still on the plan she started last year, and she's going away. You know what? She's just plugging away. Get in there. Get into the Word. Hear the voice of Jesus and let Him teach you. Number four, the new way to be human aligns with reality. You have to align with reality. You can pretend, you can believe, you can think whatever you want. And you can have, you know what? You're allowed to have any opinion you want, but you can't change the reality and the truth of things. Notice he says there, there um, in verse 21, assuming you heard of him and were taught by him as the truth is in Jesus. Truth, reality, what is actually real in the world. You can think and believe anything you want, but eventually what is true and real will catch up with you. That's what happened to Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, you know, maybe the most important and influential person of the last century. I don't say that lightly because what he did is he took computers, which at that time filled a whole room, and he made them so that first they'd fit on your desk, then they would fit in your backpack, and now we all carry one with us. Steve Jobs did that. Now other people were there and other you know, stuff, but, but he was really a motivating factor behind that. And Steve Jobs in his 50s got cancer. And Steve Jobs believed that if he ate a certain diet of fruit, that, that he could self-heal. And he didn't get medical care. 
for this rare form of cancer that he had because he thought, if I eat apples, that I will not stay sick, that I'll get better. But the problem is what Steve Jobs believed didn't align with reality, and Steve Jobs didn't get medical care soon enough, and he ended up dying at the age of 56. You can't escape reality forever. You can't escape reality for long. You can be sincere, but you can also be sincerely wrong. The new way to be human aligns with the truth in Jesus, the reality of how God made the world. Number five, the new way to be human rejects the old way of life, and it rejects it over and over because you can't just reject it one day and think that it's gone. It always comes back. It's like a roach. You can get rid of one, it just comes back. Maybe, maybe there was a song when I was in youth group, maybe some of you, the cat came back. Anyone remember, the, did anyone sing the cat came back song? The cat came back, very next, anyway. Reject your old way of life over and over because it will come back over and over. You can't, it's like weeds. It's like your kid's room. You can clean it and it's, like yesterday we were, we were at home and um, we, we got bunk beds for our kids and so I'm assembling these bunk beds and the house is just a disaster because we got pieces of the bunk beds all over and all the toys are everywhere and all the stuff because we're trying to rearrange stuff. And then the kids like get out snacks and they decide, well, why would we eat the snacks when we can just put the crumbs everywhere? And so we're just going to break them apart and throw it up like this. And so Laura goes in and she vacuums the, 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 main, the family room. And literally an hour later, it looked like she had done nothing. This is what your old sinful way of life will do, even if you're a Christian. And especially and only if you're a Christian, it will come back over and over and over. I'm encouraged by these parts of the Bible because, you know what, I sin a lot. I sin a lot. Even though I'm a Christian, I sin a lot. And what Paul is saying is lean into who you are. Being a Christian doesn't mean you're sinless, but it does mean you grow in Christ and you begin to sin less. Number six, pursue renewal. Look at verse 23. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. To be renewed in the spirit of your minds. Some of us have been listening to a podcast called This Cultural Moment. If you don't listen to it, it's super, super good. Um, and and it's, it's all about how we got where we are in, in our culture. And uh, one of the main guys on there is a guy named Mark Sayers. Absolutely brilliant. I've, he's written a ton of books. I've read uh, a number of them. So, like, he could tell you how we got from like the Middle Ages to the Enlightenment to like all the isms of today, individualism and tribalism and all the isms. And he just, cultural analysis, he can, he can unpack it all. And in the most recent uh, episodes of this podcast, he talks about how he had a moment where he realized you can understand everything about all of that and everything, but if God doesn't enter in and bring renewal in your heart, it won't do any good. What's needed is renewal, revival. What revival is, is when God breaks in, and when you read the Bible, you actually believe it. When you hear a sermon, you actually respond to it. When you know about sin, you actually repent of it. This is what renewal is, and it has to start with you. It has to start in your heart, and it has to start in your life to put 
to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to trust God to renew you as you study the word and as you seek him, as you fast and as you pray. All of those practices we talked about at the beginning of 2019 to pursue those with expectation that God's going to show up in the midst of them. Asking God and begging God to do what only he can do. And you know what is amazing is he can change the world, but even more amazing is he can change your heart. And he can change how you feel. He can change the way you think. He can change your mind and your life and your everything. Pursue renewal. And then finally, put on the new way. Verse 24. Put on the new self. Literally, the new man. The new man. Now, this this phrase, new man or new self, here it's translated, occurs one other time in Ephesians. It's in chapter 2, verse 15, where it says that Jesus created one new man out of the two, that is, Jews and Gentiles. So what it's talking here is not about you finding your true self that was wounded in childhood. What it's talking about is you leaning into the new humanity that God is creating out of people who are different than you are. To lean into worship through the cross, to lean into diverse and authentic community, to lean into the purpose and the mission that God has called the church to in the world, to make disciples of the nations. God's call, recalling you. He's, he's sending reminders to you. He's getting, sending all these things in the mail. There's something wrong and I can fix it. How many times will you have to hear before you will respond? I just want you to take a moment Close your head and bow, close your eyes and bow your head. I don't know how you close your head. Some of you are very close-minded. I just, the Spirit just led me to say, <laughs> you're open-minded to all the wrong things. Close your head, close your eyes. Just, what is God calling you to in this moment? On that connection card, I mentioned some, some ways to respond. And maybe it's just, you know what? I need to be with the church and attend, you know, not, not be intermittent. Jesus wasn't intermittent for me and, I need to be renewed in the spirit of my mind. I need to hear the word. I need to fellowship. Maybe I need to get connected to a community. I need to, go, I need to talk to Laura about that Bible study. Or you know what? I need to get up early and go to that men's Bible study. I need to get connected to a community. I need to invite others in. Some of you, maybe you've never responded to the message that God has recalled what's wrong and he has offered to trade all that's wrong with you for all that was right with Jesus. And if that's you, and if you're tired of living your old way of life, just take a moment and just tell him. Just tell him. Tell him, Lord, I know it's my fault, and I know that I have a lot that I've messed up, but I know that you can fix it. I know you can change me. I'm sorry. Tell him that you don't want to live that way anymore. Tell him you know that you deserve judgment and you deserve death, but you will accept that free gift of salvation, that there's no catch. All he wants is you. Tell him you'll trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior and that you'll trade in your broken down old way of life for his new way to be human. If you make that decision today on that card at the bottom on the right-hand side, there's a spot where it just says, I made a decision today to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. And if you feel like God has called you to make that decision, just check that off and you can drop that in the offering box in the back or you can um, 
bring that up to me. I'd love to talk with you and pray with you about that decision. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I just ask that you would speak to the hearts of those even now who you are calling to respond in some way, to put off the old way of life and to put on the new. In Jesus' name, amen.